everyone, and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage firms in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearlie, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Suranga Hara. CEO of the English Tea Shop, a Sri Lanka-based tea-focused company that has developed a wide range of teas and tea-based infusions with a special focus on gifting and also well-being. So hello, Suranga. Welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Thank you. Thank you, Pearly, for the opportunity. I'm really looking, looking forward to a good chat today. It's really great to have you here. And I think the very first thing I'd like to talk to you about is, of course, this English tea shop, you know, and your work with all things tea. So you have such a wide range of different teas from black to green to white to botanical and more. So please do tell us more. Uh, so it was in 2010 that we decided to create English tea shop, launch English tea shop. Um, having run a very uh, uh, profitable, successful, uh, you know, conventional tea business. Uh, with our own brands as well as you know packing for multitude of luxury premium you know um, sustainability heavy brands um, about 60 brands to over 40 countries uh, the biggest reason why we created why we stopped that old business and went over the line to create a brand of our own and then went organic uh, also was because that old model uh, everyone operated in a very similar model from the mass mm-hmm market brand to the most luxurious premium brand they all worked with option systems uh, regardless of where you were based in whether it was the tea growing countries or whether it was the tea branding countries mm-hmm. and then the auction system disconnected the markets with the fields and you know it led to quite a lot of issues uh, very specifically uh, social issues from farmers to pluckers to factory workers uh, the way the tea industry is moving was not only good for the people, uh, especially at the bottom of the pyramid, but also it wasn't really helping us innovate because everyone was working off a commonly shared auction platform. Uh, and organic was um, also supportive because we moved from auction to organic uh, so that we thought, you know, we became sustainable, we can work directly with people, we can bring, bring them better prices. But then with that came quite a lot of ingredients as well because we were now no longer dependent on a predominant uh, crop like a black tea or a green tea. We would work with hundreds of farmers uh, way back, you know, 13 years ago, who was producing quite a lot of different ingredients. So that naturally opened the door for us to think of blends in a more sophisticated mm. manner, well-being and you know, taste-wise and you know, yep. a lot more holistically. How big is the portfolio right now? What sort of like number of SKUs are we looking at per se? Yeah. Seven years ago, if you asked me this question before the last revamp, I would have boasted about the number and said, you know, we have. <laughs> We have the largest assort, but I think we went to the market and told as well that we have the most diverse as well as the highest number of uh, certified organic blends and probably the highest number of giftings. So yes, we went in that direction for some time before in 2017, we did a significant revamp and, and we mm-hmm. understood that the modern consumer is not about giving more to consumer. It's about giving a very meaningful, uh, very distinct, high quality and also uh, need based. So at a point I think by 2017 we had over I think we probably had close to 1000 SKUs and about 500 Ooh. blends but today we boast the opposite saying that yes we still have the diversity we still have quite a lot of offerings whether it, whether it comes to uh, occasions or moments or events or whether it comes to you know different price points and different uh, sorts of users uh, our, our range is now limited to about 250 SKUs and about 
60 probably blends which comes in mm. one two different cut sizes that we really specialize in. I understand that, you know, of course, you are based in Sri Lanka. You also operate very primarily in the UK as well. And you also export to many other countries. So I was wondering, you know, do you, with all of this uh, experience and you know, all the out the markets you have been in, do you see any major differences between tea preferences in the Eastern markets and the Western markets so far? I think when we initially started, we were very, uh, you know, predominantly Europe focused. And then we thought, we wouldn't go to rest of the world or we wouldn't really prioritize rest of the world thinking that there is more differences than commonalities uh, if even if you compare simply the eu with the apec region mm. but you know having grown to about 60 countries since then um, i think we have more commonalities across the globe than the differences uh, in terms of taste in terms of occasions needs or gifting or whether even if it's a everyday tea uh, out of those 60 odd blends that we sell and 200 SKUs that we have developed, uh, majority of our, of our top performing blends are universal. You know, it's a common thing. But then again, you know, you come to Singapore, we have our, you know, uh, the most core black tea done very specifically for the Singaporean market. Mm. Uh, you know, we do a, a very different uh, sort of a mix uh, to, to Germany, for example. But we still have, if you know, when you look at the top uh, performing list in the SKUs as well as the blend offerings, there is a lot of things that get sold uh, around the world without any alteration. But we do respect some of the fundamental differences. Um, and I think the commonality is more in our case because our target market must be thinking similarly. They're mindful in a you mm. know, similar manner. Uh, and and taste buds also, I think, has gotten globalized to a certain extent. And people, I guess, um, taste comes after you know careful thought about story, about provenance, about you know, and then the need to explore. I think more and more we are hearing stories of people wanting to taste um, the real, natural, original, mm. traditional, you know, sort of uh, uh, blends as well, whether it's food or drinks. Uh, anything uh, for that matter. So I guess I guess that need to explore, need to learn, need to appreciate cultures not only from travel but from you know what you eat and drink. Mm -hmm. Truly globalized our offerings. When you really dive deep, you see differences, <laughs> and then you kind of focus on them, you build on them. So couple of things that we've done in the APEC region, including uh, developing very specific uh, gift packaging. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, very different in terms of packaging. So what we would do to Japan would, uh, as you would know, will be very different in terms of not only blends, but even packaging, you know, starting from the sizing, starting from the uh, design system, starting from the whole exp consumer experience, you know, in, in certain places, it is more traditional blends packaged, mm -hmm. you know, to suit the, um, the trends or the lifestyles of those markets in certain other markets. Um, it's very unique, it's very innovative, it's, um, you know, very explorative blends that we kind of put forward. Um, and then packaging and designs to kind of compensate it. So it's probably gotten a little bit more uh, mature now, uh, mm -hmm. our understanding of how the Singapore market would be different to, you know, China, mainland, mainland China, for example, or um, you know, Korea, for example. 
if I could just check in terms of what you mean by traditional blends versus, you know, the innovative blends. So would I be right in saying traditional blends would be things like um, the English breakfast tea, the Earl Grey tea, the green tea that people are, the straightforward ones that people are used to, and then the innovative ones are what you have, like your, the berries. And blends that we created uh, over the years, and some of them have ended up becoming our top sellers, uh, including the superberries that you mentioned, the lemongrass, ginger, citrus. So marrying, uh, you know, superfood ingredients like turmeric to moringa uh, on one hand and creating, you know, health and well-being focused blends. And also uh, maybe using a base like a white tea and then adding blueberries and elderflowers to give it that lifestyle-ish, um, you know, uh, feel when you drink as well as, you know, it's a very you know, flavorful blend. Uh, so these are the things that we, you know, refer to as innovative or, or special, you know, blends. And you were right to say English breakfast, Earl Grey, green tea, you know, they form the more uh, classic. Okay, if we look a little forward, so in terms of, you know, greatest opportunities for the tea category, what do you see in terms of, you know, these for further expansion? Are you, do you think the way to move forward is in terms of for, more format innovation, more flavor innovation, or do you think it's just going bigger, you know, more geographical markets that, you know, might not be as familiar with tea? I think it's a very good question and something that we've been working and trying, you know, trying to understand. Uh, quite, um, you know, soft, you know in, a, in, a, in a proper manner, meaningful manner. I guess I could relate a few things uh, when you think of what the opportunities are for our own selves as well as the wider industry. Is that, as I mentioned um, at the beginning, the tea industry has not really innovated. If you look at the industry as mm. a whole, the offerings, uh, whether it's a format as you asked, or whether it's a tea offering, um, you know, uh, that you mentioned, nothing's, um, you know, changed seriously. If you compare it with uh, coffee, for mm. example, mm -hmm. uh, it stayed with the, you know, once the tea bag came into the picture, it stayed in that tea bag, you know, format. And uh, while the tea bag itself has gotten innovated in a sustainability perspective and a performance perspective, but still, if you look at that, you know, the whole convenience factor or the art of drinking tea, it has remained the same. So mm -hmm. I would look at this uh, from uh, multiple angles. One is how do you bring the health and well being needs uh, to? people who would enjoy a brewed cup of tea. Um, a, a brewed cup of tea, maybe with no caffeine or less caffeine. So that, that, that's, that's our pitch at, in one angle, if you kind of think, the, think of the hot beverage. What we haven't done enough is we've not moved beyond uh, putting basic ingredients together or basic teas together, and then <clears throat> you know trying to address that health and well-being need, because it's a growing need, it's a big need. And we can't ignore the fact that the modern consumer, including the youth or the youngsters, are very aware. You know, they are very aware of their uh, mindfulness and also they are very aware of their physical body and its, and, and its functionality. You know, we are hearing of intolerances that we've never heard in our lives. But I'm talking to customer groups <clears throat> and also retailers and trade who are very, very open to these ideas and they're hearing uh, these noises and then these requirements from the markets where um, uh, this modern consumer, you know, is this concern about the gut or digestion, about the mm. mood, about immunity, about focus, about energy, about detoxing, not in not in a not in that old-fashioned manner that we tried addressing over the last decades, but in a more very sophisticated manner. So, and then tea can probably play, I would say, the biggest role in that because we've already mm. got the science, you know, we have the ingredients in hand. Uh, we know the science, we know what is good for what, and there's a lot of um, science behind it and, you know, journal evidence behind it. So I think it's about mastering that consumer and their needs and then mastering the ingredients 
and also the offering as you suggested because the offering can also evolve to something that is more convenient something that is more uh, affordable and something that consumers can have on the go so i was wondering what your plans might be for english tea shop in this region moving forward in terms of business development we got a fairly unique answer to that because uh, apec we're having worked with apec for the last you know uh, so many years uh, moving on from eu uh, we see that apec has a very distinct different uh, you know buying behavior when it comes to airports mm. uh, so years of working with airports in uh, in the euro i think they <laughs> this is what i personally experience is that most of the european or even american airports have gone a little uh, slow on innovation on real experiential you know um, aspects uh because of that i think our growth is um, and also very focused on the domestic markets but when we come to apec whether it's singapore china or hong kong wherever you name it from vietnam to philippines airports are at another are at another level mm-hmm. you know the, the the speed of development the experiences and the novelty on innovation that you know people bring in to that part of the world especially at the airports makes us very suitable to airports than even the domestic markets so this is why we think it might have a very um, you know distinct approach when english tea shop uh, you know capitalizes or you know expands in our uh, reach and then also we are trying to bring in technology like blockchain uh, because we already built in blockchain for our entire sort of you know uh, value chain we've launched mm-hmm. it for the core ranges now we are expanding it to the others this year for gifting where we can communicate far more easily blockchain um, mm-hmm. ensures um, you know high level security to the information and also uh, more authentic information decentralized information so consumers might be able to see uh, see through the product uh, the journey of the ingredients the journey of the farmers to the packers um, and even the whole usage or the experience part of it where we could be you know we are able to communicate um, through technology Uh, the benefits the health benefits because i think we're trying to marry the whole thing together the need for sustainability the need for health the need for value uh, can we bring technology to bring that experience to the to the to another level is what we're thinking of right now i think i'd like to switch focus a little bit i want to find out a little bit more about your own journey so i know you've been very much involved in tea for the most part throughout your career so i yeah. was wondering you know, what are some of the biggest changes that you have seen in the industry from when you started in the, in the industry all the way until now i would say i haven't seen much change and that's a big worry that i have mm. um, i'm counting about 26 years uh, of experience specifically in the tea industry and i don't think i've seen the change that you know we would be proud and happy about Uh, mm-hmm. whether it is in the formats whether it's on the whole consumer experience whether it is in bringing the premiumization that the tea deserves or whether it's changing lives and whether it's moving on to different domains i think it's happening now at least mm-hmm. there's you know uh, starts taken by quite a lot of operators brands uh, which is great um, i think this is the time if you don't take this opportunity um, i think it will be a, a sad thing because we are we are i think sitting on a beautiful array um of of ingredients and herbs botanicals and teas and are we really connecting to consumer needs or are we you know just um, you know letting that opportunity pass through is a big question uh, but i think no more and more we are hearing um, uh, positive stories about people trying to be unique in their you know approaches 
And uh, I, I, I do blame the auction system uh, behind the tea industry from, you know, Sri Lanka to India to Kenya, uh, all relying on a, you know, a commonly shared platform. When you're, you know, doing that, um, you're kind of uh, addressing a common need and then you become very homogeneous in your offering. And there is very little chance to really bring about different, unique experiences. So I was wondering also what were some of the, you know, the biggest challenges or maybe even the biggest surprise that you found when you were trying, you know, starting out, trying to make all of these changes. Um, I guess the big, biggest challenge to this date is when we thought of this in 2010, created a brand, went to the market, and then we became organic, not because we were specialists in organic. We had no know-how or experience. We went organic mm. because that was the only way we could bypass the auction system because everything else is regulated. It has to go to the auction system. Mm. It's mandatory. So going organic means you can work directly. I think the first uh, few years was all about finding the right answer um, to consumer and trade questions because every time a question is posed, our answer would be based on a people uh, mm. solution. Uh, so people would ask us to, okay, why do you go organic and what are the benefits of organic? And our common answer was that organic is the only way we, you know, uh, we are able to bypass the auction, we are able to build people better. Uh, so that kind of argument sits well in a you know conversation, but when it comes to business, you got to have business sense, right? And so it took a hard uh, effort and a long time for us to build that approach and show them uh, very unique, novel, premium, lifestyleish offerings can be built when you move out from the common homogeneous you know business model to something unique. And that is when even your simple product offering starts becoming different. Uh, our blends are celebrated today because it's only able to be made uh, when you do a, you know, when you do small batches. Small batches are growing to producing to blending. Um, so this is what I think we had to carefully work out. Uh, how do we finally become commercially uh, sensible and feasible? So I think uh, it took a good five, six years before we got into you know, very important um, uh, high-level organic gourmet, you know, store shelves because, you know, they didn't really give us a chance in the first phase because it was just a story. There was no real delivery to, you know, back it up with. So mm -hmm. I think we've done it now. We've gone through the mill and we've proved that uh, this kind of approach is uh, not risky. It is the way businesses should, you know, conduct having the community at the core of your, you know, focus or strategy. And then you are able to deliver unique premium lifestyleish experiences that can be you know preserved for the long run do you have any advice for any uh, budding tea entrepreneurs out there who are trying to make changes that you have you know move away from sort of like a traditional system and doing something new if i build on that i've been advocating that for the last so many years at least the last decade and a half is that how do you build a unique brand if you're based out of a commonly shared traditional model that won't work so mm -hmm. the only way to get closer to the modern consumer and to solve, you know, certain issues that the world is facing, people are facing is to be unique. The question is, okay, you're asking us to be unique, but how? I think two core things, at least uh, in a nutshell, um, I guess it starts with purpose, because if you design a business, it needs to solve a problem. It has to go deeper than solving uh, or filling the pockets of founding stakeholders and the, and the key stakeholders. It has to go beyond that. So if you can't come out with a purpose statement that involves solving a crucial planetary issue, whether it's a societal issue, whether it's a climate issue, whether it's a biodiversity issue or a combination of this, 
um, it doesn't have to be like solving all of the planet's problems. It can be solving, you know, 50 people's um, uh, problem that's faced by 50 people. It doesn't have to be thousands, hundreds of thousands. But you need to be very specific about a problem that you're solving at the market end or the, you know, operations end or the value chain or even the, uh, the real upstream, you know, farmers or producers or whatever. When you're focused, laser focused to that level, it's easy to design a business model that suits that. So that's the second part. So if you're being purpose-led in a strong manner, solving a key problem or a few, um, how do you design a business model where you guarantee that most of the activities that you conduct in your business is conducted in a way to solve that problem or to reach that purpose? So that's what English Teach did. You know, moving to organic was not the 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 key thing. How you know what was our purpose then? You know, what was our purpose around the around building organic farmers? and to build our employee owners. And then how do you arrange the activities in the business in a way that uh, solves those issues? So that's, uh, I think, the one message I want to leave about. Think about how you conduct business every day. Um, you know, it's not just being purpose-led, having a mission statement or a vision statement. It's about truly everyone embracing it and everyone living, living by it and whether majority. Now, we would say that as English teacher, 100% of our business activities have to tick the boxes. You know, it has to be thoroughly uh, evaluated for sustainability ambitions. Uh, I know it's a hard one to start with, but at least does majority of your activities truly lead you in that direction? Mm -hmm. And are you able to be open and transparent about it with your own people and with the rest of the world? So I think when you conduct that kind of business, you automatically naturally are driven to be unique and then you are bound to be successful. Very good. Thank you so much, Saranga. There's uh, some very, very good points there. And yes, I think that's all the time we have for us. So thank you so much for joining me today, Saranga. It was so wonderful speaking with you again. Thanks for the opportunity, Pearlie. Looking forward to meet you in person very soon. Well, thank you. And thank you also, everyone, for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a great day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Pearlie signing off.